Hey everybody, it's your old pal Josh. Sorry to cut in, but just for a second, I wanted to let you know that I'm doing my solo live show, The End of the World, or How I Learned to Start Worrying and Love Humanity, in Minneapolis and in D.C. On June 19th, I'll be in Minneapolis at the Parkway Theater, and you can get tickets by going to theparkwaytheater.com. The next night, June 20th, I'll be in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, to bring the good word to our nation's capital. I'll be there at the Miracle Theater, and you can get tickets to that one at themiracletheater.com. Thanks a lot for coming to see me. I'll see you this June. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. And this is Stuff You Should Know. Barcodes. Give me some barcodes. <laughs> I love them barcodes a lot. <laughs> you like barcodes too? Um, sure. I, I I'm 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 feigning geeking out because I think barcodes are cool, but I'm not like a barcode nerd. No, but it is interesting that like how much of our how much we take them for granted and how they're everywhere. Yeah. And after you listen to this or we research this, you'll probably start noticing them and being like, what secrets lie within you? Exactly. <laughs> Little black things and spaces in between. Well, hopefully if they listen to this, they won't have any questions like that. They'll know all the barcode secrets. Well, sure. I hope. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll see. So, like you said, barcodes are absolutely everywhere. And it is one of those things where you're like, there's one. Oh, my gosh, there's one. There's one over there. Like if you work at a company, turn your computer over. Guarantee there's a barcode underneath. There's barcodes all over the place, right? There's one on your forehead. There is. <laughs> Got it tattooed this morning just for this episode. Wasn't that in a movie, I feel like? Um, of like probably. Future World where we all have barcodes. Was it in 1984? Like the government to put them on our necks. Oh, maybe it was that Apple ad. It was maybe. the Apple ad. Was it? Uh, probably. I know exactly what you're talking about. I can see a guy with a shaved head in a suit with a barcode on the back of his neck. All right. Well, I, I hope there's people yelling at their radio right now. <laughs> right. So they're everywhere. Their radio. They're, they're on your computer. Uh -huh. They're on guys' necks. <laughs> they're on the computer or on the radio. Yeah. Um, and they're actually not that old of an invention. Yeah. Let me rephrase that, Chuck. They are exactly as old as you would imagine them to be. Right, which is, uh, if you thought about it, this is one of those things where if you ask someone, they'd probably be like, I don't know. But Stop talking to me. <laughs> if you gave a little bit of thought, you might think of the other half of what makes a barcode necessary or able to be used, which is the laser. Wow, man. And that they, was the big reveal. Well, they can't have preceded the laser. <laughs> no. <laughs> it kind of did, actually, though. Uh, well, yeah, sure. The idea, but it took them in concert to actually do anything worthwhile. Right, exactly. Um, like so you and me. Basically, <laughs> we're both just a couple of lumps and put it together and whew, we we're one big lump. Off. We took off like a, the UPC code <laughs> protocol. So, <laughs> so um, back, let's, let's, set, let's set the scene, shall we? All right. Are we way back in it here? Sure. All right. Jerry? Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry launched us. So um, when you think about barcodes, you think grocery store typically, right? I think anything, but sure. 
I think grocery store. I think anything you can, anywhere you can buy something or, or, yeah. Okay. That's much more dead on, but mine makes sense too, because it was in the grocery store that the whole issue of barcodes, the whole reason we have barcodes to begin with, really began. Because it used to be a genuine bona fide mess going to the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, and this was back when people weren't even in a hurry. Um, yeah, imagine now. Like my mom was a, uh, a cashier at Kroger in the uh-huh. 1960s. Oh, wow. So she has remarked about how fast she was typing in those numbers mm-hmm. and how people like going through her line because she was just. Bru, bru. Right. She was typing in those numbers is the, the key here. Yeah, but no, I mean, there is no. Well, uh, we haven't done the John Henry test. Maybe, <laughs> right. maybe Diane was so fast. It's possible. That she could beat the laser, mm-hmm. uh, especially these days, because, you know, sometimes it seems like they can take longer when they scan it and scan it and scan it yeah, and sometimes. then type in the tiny number. Right. But your mom may have been an anomaly. For the most part, if you went and checked out in a line at a grocery store, you had to wait way longer than you do these days yeah. because— it wasn't Chuck's mom who was checking you out. It was some other person who had to lift up the can, find the price label on it, type in the price, mm-hmm. type in the tax, mm-hmm. and then pick up the next thing and do the same thing. And heaven forbid that sticker fell off. Yes. Or then you got to call Earl over. Right. Earl's Earl, got to go to aisle seven. Price check on aisle seven, <laughs> Earl. See what, what the Alpo costs. So you've got that problem, right? Yes. If it goes on sale. That's mm-hmm. another thing, too. The, Forget the, about You it. have to go through and relabel all those cans, right? So mm-hmm. that's where you got the price. Was It was labeled by some guy with a gun. Remember that movie, Oh, God, with John Denver and George Burns? Do I remember it? I always, sure. whenever I hear of a dude, like, pricing a, um, something in a supermarket with a price that gun. That sound is so great. That's what I think of. <laughs> is, John is that, <laughs> I think the first scene where he meets God. Yeah, he was a supermarket manager, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. So, um That's how the price got on there. That was one problem that you had, Mm -hmm. hand-labeling prices and then hand-typing it in. But there's also the key of inventory. Sure. The only way to tell how much stuff you had in a store at any given time was to go through and count everything in the store Mm -hmm. and in the back room. And then you would know what you needed to order. So supermarkets were frequently out of stuff. The lines were very long. It was a nightmare unless your mom was the cashier, which is one reason why barcodes were first invented and adopted into grocery stores because it, it became so clear so early on that they could solve this enormous problem in one fell swoop if they could only get a system in place that perfected it. Yeah, so in the 30s, there was a guy who wrote a thesis paper at Harvard named Wallace Flint um, where he invented an automated grocery system mm-hmm. with punch cards and flow racks and such. Right. Didn't really take off, but what, it, it was yeah. an interesting precursor, I think. Anytime you have punch cards involved, it's not going <laughs> to take off. Right, unless that's how we vote in this country. Right. Um, and you see how that worked out. Right. So flash forward to Philadelphia in the 1940s, uh, there was a grocery store manager who was like Josh. He was pretty upset and riled up about time and how long it's all taking right? <laughs> and running out of stuff. And he went to Drexel, uh, I guess it's Drexel University now. Was it Drexel IT back then or was it I, two different things? Could be an offshoot. Maybe they're copycats. All right. Well, they're go, like, yeah, we're Drexel too. <laughs> I looked up their mascot, by the way. The what? They're the dragons 
And specifically, their mascot that dresses up for basketball games Uh is Mario the Magnificent. Huh. It's a little odd for a dragon. Yeah, he's he's named after apparently their, like, oldest basketball fan or something. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Sure. Who happens to be a dragon. (laughs) At any rate, go dragons. Uh, So, like I said, 1947, can you help me, Drexel? I need help because I'm a grocery store manager. It's taking forever. The dean said, "Mm, no, no, not really. (laughs) But there was a a student there, a grad student named uh, Bob Silver, who stuck that in his pocket, as they say, walked away and went to his friend who who was a grad of Drexel named Joe Woodland because I guess he knew Joe was the man for ideas like this. Sure. And Woodland said, yeah, I think think we could come up with something. He said – we're in Philadelphia. Let's go down to Miami Beach and think about this. Yeah, because years from now, that's where the eye smell will be dreamed up. <laughs> it was Miami Beach, too. That's why it seemed familiar, wasn't it? Yeah, it seemed familiar to me. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, that's right. The eye smell. So the eye smell <laughs> and the UPC symbol were both dreamed up on Miami Beach. And two life crew. Well, sure. Um, so, yeah, apparently he goes to the beach, starts dreaming of like Morse code. Basically, what he's trying to figure out is, what can we use to represent, like, the price and, mm-hmm. like, the stock number? That's really what they were trying to boil it down to Yeah, because initially. If, if you have that in one little component, then yeah. then that can be scanned. And you like, wanted to say can, barcode, but it didn't exist yet. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, it could be scanned. It could be um, typed in, however you need to do it. Sure. But it could bring up a lot more information. Right. And you could do it a lot faster because it could tell you things like, there's only two left, you better order. Right? That kind of thing. Right. So, like you said, he figured out Morse code. He, he was kind of inspired on Miami Beach to use Morse code. But then something really weird happened. He typed some lines and some dots. Typed? With his fingers. Oh, okay. Um, in the sand, right? In the sand, right? Okay. <laughs> typed in the sand. And then he just pulled his fingers downward in the sand and turned them into lines. I figured he was drunk or something. Maybe so. And just kind of... He was slurring his sand lines, <laughs> right? And... um. That was the beginning of the first UPC symbol. And it was way different than what you would think because what they ended up coming up with was not just lines like we see today, mm-hmm. but circles, concentric concentric circles like a bullseye. Yeah, it looks like uh it looks like a record, like an LP. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, well put. Um so that was it. Like if this was the movie, and after all, they made a movie about windshield wipers with Greg Kinnear. Mm-hmm. So why hasn't this been made? I don't know. Uh, that would be the moment where he draws those lines in the sand and like a halo glows around them. Mm-hmm. And like two God's... live crew stars playing <laughs> yes. in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how great would that be? Um, so, yeah, that's where it was born. Uh, in 1949, those two dudes, Woodland and Silver, they came up with a machine because that was kind of the problem. It's like, great, we figured out this barcode thing, but it's useless unless you had a reader. And their reader was huge and expensive and heavy and dangerous, it sounds like. Yeah, it was like the size of a desk. And yeah. back then, desks were really big. Was, that's like the size of a bus today. They also used an oscilloscope as the reader, right? Which I, for the life of me, can't figure out how they did that. Um, yeah, because that know. detects like electrical pulses. But... The upshot of it was that oscilloscope with a 500-watt bulb that got super dangerously hot. Sure. When they put it together with those two kids, these were grad students at the time, mm-hmm. or they just recently graduated, um, 
they put together the first machine that could read printed material. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Right. So it just so happened that the printed material was a printed bullseye UPC code. Mm-hmm. There was a big problem, though. They were missing something very important, and that was a microcomputer, something that could read this code and make sense of it. Um, they hadn't quite come up with that. So they said, you know what? Let's just forget about this. We'll put it in dad's garage like a trampoline, sell it to RCA. Well, yeah, they sold the patent, right? Right. And then we're going to head off to go work for IBM. And that's where the um, the big scene with the glowing and two live crew would have ended. <laughs> Maybe in a montage or something. Right. Uh, so we I, I spoiled it, I guess, um, with mm-hmm. the laser. But in 1960 was when the the first laser was debuted, and this was really key to read this thing because the reason they used a 500-watt light bulb wasn't because they were just like, man, this is so cool and hot and dangerous. <laughs> like you needed a tremendous amount of light to read these tiny, um, I mean, super detailed you know, it's not detailed with like lettering that we're used to seeing, but no. it was de- you had to read the detail, right? Because and it also has to be kind of small too. Yeah, it can't be the size of the can, right? Exactly, um, or you know, something bigger than the size of the can. It has to be fairly small, and it is <laughs> fairly detailed. Yeah, and um, so you need a really bright light to read it. Well, luckily, eventually, the Hughes Corporation came up with the laser, and that was very quickly implemented with the barcode system. Not in grocery stores at first, but on the railroad, it turns out. Yeah, this was, um, this guy figures pretty prominently. His name is David Collins, and he had a company called Computer Identics Corporation. And what he came up was the first, in 1969, the first barcode reader Mm -hmm. that actually worked without, you know, 500-watt light bulbs yeah, by keep, using that laser. To keep track of freight cars because the, the railroad companies would swap freight cars with one another all the time, but you'd end up, some guy would always keep your freight car and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so he sold two of those in 1969, MIT grad, and that, that kind of changed the game because all of a sudden it was being implemented, not in grocery stores like you said, but grocery store uh, people, <laughs> workers. Managers, owners? Uh, Industry leaders, I think. They took notice. They did, especially a guy named uh, Alan Halderman, who basically led the charge to get this stuff into supermarkets. And there was a pilot program that was at a Kroger, like the one your mom worked at, Mm -hmm. about the time where she would have worked for Kroger. Yeah. But this was uh, up in Cincinnati, which I think is where Kroger was founded. Yeah, this she was in Tennessee, I think. And RCA had been looking for new projects to um, to to work on, and they found this old patent that RCA bought from Woodland and Silver. Yeah, what about this old thing? They're like, what is it, a bullseye? <laughs> They're like, no, check it out. So they put laser to bullseye and ran this pilot program in, in Cincinnati at Kroger, and it went okay-ish. For a new thing, it did all right. But we mentioned how they had to be able to read these intricate little barcodes. Mm-hmm. Um, printing wasn't great, so any smudges or smears or anything would just throw the whole system off. Right, but it was enough of a proof of concept that that the, these um, grocery store industry leaders led by Alan Halderman said, we've got to get this out into grocery stores. So they we formed— got, we got to mention the, the name of their group. <laughs> you ready for yeah. it? Okay. They formed the U.S. Supermarket Ad Hoc Committee on a Uniform Grocery Product Code. What does that spell? U-S-A-H-C. 
U G P C. Yeah, it spells nothing. Really. Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it spells a barcode. Um, I read somewhere that this guy he would when he was lobbying supermarket managers and leaders, I guess, to like buy into this, he would take them to go see Deep Throat. <laughs> I read that it was the fashion of the day to like go out for a steak dinner and then everybody went and watched Deep Throat in the movie theater as part of like a business meeting. Yeah, do you get the steak dinner before or after that movie? Before, apparently. It's a really tough uh, call. Right. Uh, oh, dear. Well, let's take a break <laughs> and ruminate on that question, and we'll be right back. So the um, the U.S. Supermarket Ad Hoc Committee on a Uniform Grocery Product Code is <laughs> hanging out at Deep call Throat. Call the Ad Hoc Committee? <laughs> in the porno theater. Uh-huh. Sure, we can call them the Ad Hoc Committee from now on. All right. I just wanted to get it in one more time. And um, they decided that, yes, the, the RCA patent with the bullseye was pretty good, but it hadn't worked that good. Yeah. Is it possible or something better? And this is pretty forward-thinking. Um, at the time, if you think about it, to, to say like, yes, this works. This company has a patent on it. Mm-hmm. Forget about that. Could we do better? And they actually launched like a national, basically a competition to come up with something better. Yeah. And this was sort of in the face of manufacturers who weren't too crazy about this idea to begin with, because mm-hmm. it would be on them, obviously, like Campbell's Soup to start putting these codes on their soup cans. And no one really wanted to do it because of they had their own systems in place. It would cost them money and time. Right. And they were just like, hey, it ain't broke on our end. What's funny is this this article, I think this part came from a Smithsonian article where they're saying like cardboard manufacturers thought it would spoil their product. <laughs> they're like, it's so beautiful. This box of, of apple cinnamon oatmeal cannot be spoiled with right. a <laughs> with a UPC code. Yeah, that's weird. But that was part of the pushback, apparently, was they thought it would mess up the product. Right. But they gave in, I guess. they were. I'm sure they were talked into the fact that they could move more product with this in the end. They were taken to see Deep Throat, and they just <laughs> caved like a house of cards. They're like, man, that steak was good, <laughs> and so was the cinema. <laughs> um, so seven people, like you said, submitted, seven companies. And um, if you go and look at these seven submissions, it's interesting that – some of them, like one was like the LP bullseye. Mm-hmm. There was another circular one, but it looked like uh, webdings. No, <laughs> no, it looked like if a kid draws a sunshine. It was like all the lines uh, were going out from the center. Right. There were a few different variations. It sort of looked like the modern barcode, in in theory. But then it's it's so funny when you look at the seven side by side, you immediately go to that little rectangular one. You're yeah. like, oh well, yeah. Just because we're used to it. But I don't know if at first if people just looked at it like the bullseye one was pretty. It the, is pretty. The sunshine one was nice. I think I've seen the sunshine one on like cartons of milk or orange juice, like on the bottom of paper cartons. I've seen that before. I know what you're oh, talking yeah? about. Yeah. So I guess somebody adopted there it. There was a little half circle one too that looked sort of like a rainbow sticker. It's very cute. That is cute. But. I uh, love rainbows. <laughs> the, the kicker here is is that IBM um, – Sort of at the 13th hour, 
I guess, heard about this. We're like, hey, yeah, we'll throw in a bid. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, what have you developed? And they're like, well, we haven't developed anything because we just heard about this. Right. But on, Joe, on the tech grapevine. Joe Woodland, the guy who invented this other one, works for us. Sure. Ironically, Joe Woodland didn't have anything to do with their design, though. <laughs> I know. Who was it? George Lawrer was the guy's name. The story is all over the place. It really is interesting yeah. how many different, like, directions it took. How many times they saw Deep Throat over and over again (laughs) as this process was going on. Just stop saying those words. Just say cinema. Okay. (laughs) But there was a guy there named George Laurer at IBM. And uh, the advantage he had, or at least as he saw it, and I agree, is that he hadn't seen all these bullseyes and sunshines and rainbows. And he was, he kind of started from scratch. Right. And built that beautiful little rectangle. That was his premise, that he was like, I'm un, unadulterated with any yeah. preconceptions. IBM didn't have any pre-existing machinery that this thing needed to fit into. Nothing. He got to start from scratch. And actually, his idea panned out because his was selected. The uh, ad hoc committee, mm-hmm. I'll spare everybody, um, met in New York, and they actually tapped some scientists from MIT because they said, who are the smartest scientists around MIT scientists. Sure. Here are the, how many was it? Seven or 11 designs? Uh, seven. Okay. Here are the seven designs, MIT scientists. Mm-hmm. You guys tell us which one you think is right. But then this Alan Haberman, he said, hold on, before you guys tell us, can you give me a confidence interval of how, how confident you are mm-hmm. that you have picked the right one? And all of them were at like 90%. I'm 90% confident. And it was Lauer's rectangle that won. That's right. Ta-da! <laughs> uh, interestingly, they had uh, demonstrated the rectangular one with a beanbag ashtray. And the ace softball picture. Yeah, which is... Pitcher. Like, is there anything better than the beanbag ashtray? <laughs> those are great. Yeah. We got those in college. Like, I searched them out. Oh, really? Just because they, you know, because they were always plaid and looked like they were from the 50s. You never smoked, did you? Well, I mean, I smoked a little in college, but we we had ashtrays around. You still wanted to provide for your guests. I see. This is in college, you know. Sure, yeah. They have ashtrays. Right. (laughs) Maybe a little snack caddy to go with the cocktails. (laughs) But we had a few of those beanbag ashtrays, and uh, they were pretty great. And mostly because you could put them on a dashboard of a car. Yes. And they would stay there. Right. Or on your belly while you're pooping. Sure. Sure. <laughs> They'd stay wherever you want them to. So, like you said, Lar won. Uh, the the big they had a big party, I'm sure, uh, with rectangular um, hors d'oeuvres all arranged in perfect lines, eaten out of beanbag ashtrays. <laughs> oh God! Uh, and then on June 26, 1974, they debuted it in a real store um, in Troy, Ohio, Marsh mm-hmm. Marsh Supermarket. Yeah, I, I've not heard of it. They still, I thought you might have. Uh, been like, oh, yeah, the old days of the marshes in Toledo. No, we had a IGA, Food Town, Kroger. That's it. Yeah. That's all I can remember. And foods with a Z? <laughs> foods. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why that got me. That's the first thing I can think of. Um, <laughs> so they had this, the, the whole checkout counter, I see, is translated in today's dollars, but forty-four grand is what that thing would have cost today. Yeah, and just the scanner itself mm-hmm. was more than seventeen grand of that in today's dollars. Yeah, that's and crazy. Today you can get a scanner for about one hundred and twenty bucks. So this is the this is a 
pretty nice setup for Marsh's store in Troy, Ohio. Yeah. And the— uh, It was just one register, too, right? It was, out of uh, however many. The rest of them were having the type. And they were Still like, type. Can't you be more like Sharon Buchanan, who's over <laughs> here on the— on the uh, the laser checker? Yeah, that was the real name, by the way. It sounds like you just totally improv to that. No, it, it came out of my memory. No, but we should give her her due. Uh, yeah, she was the first cashier to to scan an item with a UPC code. And the first item that was scanned was a 10-pack of Juicy Fruit Gum. Yeah, I bet the guy, what was his name? Richard Dawson? No. That was Family Feud. Clyde Dawson, his brother. Right. He was the head of uh, R&D for Marsh, and he played the first shopper. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if he was like, hmm, let's see, because his fruit stripes is nothing but striped (laughs) lines. I wonder if he was trying to throw them off. I don't know. Like, scan this. Supposedly, he chose gum because a lot of people were like, well, what about gum? You're never going to be able to get one of these things on gum. Oh. But then he chose a 10-pack of gum. Right. So he was kind of hedging his bets. (laughs) It, it, whatever, but I wonder it was, what the smallest one, smallest barcodes are. Uh, the smallest I saw, uh, they have like bees. Now. Bees have barcodes t- like on them somehow. I, I haven't figured out how. I didn't see how. I just know that bees have barcodes. You mean bees the insect? Yes, with a Z. <laughs> um, what do you mean to track them or something? Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, so that's got to be pretty small. But the smallest product I saw with the barcode is um, the uh, Tootsie Roll Pop sticks have the barcode on them. Really? Huh? Did you do research or you were just eating a Tootsie Roll Pop? And <laughs> I was like, down? well, I'll be darned. Wow. How many licks did it take to get to the center? I, I've never made it. All right. I always crunch like the owl says. Uh, so I guess we should talk about how these things work because it's interesting. It's super wonky. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, I don't know. It's good for people to understand this to a certain degree, whatever degree you're comfortable with, with learning. Well, okay. You ready? Yeah, well, first, there's two kinds. We should differentiate between the barcodes and QR codes. Yeah, a barcode is technically a linear 1D code. Yeah, just a dumb code. Just lines, basically. Um, The 2D codes, like the QR, quick response codes, like the ones you see on, you know, happening products and items these days, marketing materials, maybe someone's business card. It's actually becoming... Even more of a thing, oh, from what I understand, just because there's so much stuff you can encode in it. Right. Um, How many characters? Like 800 and something? Yeah, you can encode 7,000 digits or 4,000 characters of text. Oh, okay. And so you can encode some pretty sophisticated stuff in there. So people encode um, web addresses or pictures or whatever. I've seen them on tours. Like you can do a QR code and bring up like a bunch of text about the right. painting or whatever. And I think it's kind of, yes, I've seen that as well. Yeah. Um, I think that it's kind of becoming uh, less popular as a marketing tool. Okay. But simultaneously, it's becoming more popular in just about every other like use. practical use. Of. Yeah. Barcodes, on the other hand, the 1D barcode can hold up to 85 characters. So these 2Ds are like exponentially more um, potent storehouses of information. <laughs> yeah, but I like the the simplicity of the barcode. I do too. It's pretty cool. Like you don't need – it does exactly what you need and nothing else. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so, so when we're talking about a barcode, most people think of a uh, universal product code, yeah. which is a 1D linear barcode. It's a type of it. It's not the only kind. There's a bunch of – 1D linear barcodes, but the most readily recognizable one, especially in the U.S. and Canada, mm-hmm. is called the UPC. 
Right. So let's say you're a company and you have a product um, that you want to debut. And what you would do is, since 1977, you would uh, ring up a company out of Brussels called GSI. GS1. Oh, is that a one? Mm-hmm. Oh, don't call GSI. No. <laughs> you're not going to get your stuff on the shelves. Grime scene investigation. <laughs> oh, God. Man, you're just flying with the... Uh, Zingers? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Not, not all of them are good. Well, I didn't say they were. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I was like, to save your applause, Chuck. <laughs> I'll save it. So the GS1, what you do is you pay an annual fee as a manufacturer, mm-hmm. and then you say, hey, I have this new thing. I want to apply for permission to enter the UPC system. That's, a, what, that's the Marshall brain way of putting it. Yeah. Basically like, hey, I want to be registered in the official system. Right. They write back and they say, all right, here, uh, man, new manufacturer, you have a six-digit uh, six identification number. Mm-hmm. I imagine if you were like the Coca-Cola company, you're already set up with this. Well, so if they, you, they had to eventually start somewhere. Well, right. But now when Coke develops a new product or whatever, mm-hmm. they don't. They just give them the new uh, – The menu, the item number. Is item number, called. exactly. Yeah. So the first six numbers – so if you look at a UPC barcode mm-hmm. – it is a there are a bunch of bars mm-hmm. and that's for the computer to read and then there's a 12 numbers that's for humans to read and actually punch in if the machine has problems with it right okay so it's actually the same information but in two different languages technically so you could technically probably teach yourself that language if you just looked at these long enough. You totally could. <laughs> you could. It's interesting. Um, it would be probably the most useless thing you've ever done in your life, uh-huh. if, especially if you're not in the <laughs> UPC code industry, and there is an industry. Oh, sure. But you could do that. Yeah. And we're going to teach you how. Right, uh, in a minute. But um, if at, at every big company there is a UPC coordinator, and I imagine full departments, that handle the stuff. It depends. You can also, if you're a small company, you can contract out with a company that basically does Just this does for you. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, like if you want to sell on Amazon, but you're not like a big company, right. you have to have a UPC symbol, but it could be, it, it could make no sense money-wise for you to go to GS1 and get a UPC symbol rather than right. just getting it from a reseller. Yeah. So if you're a huge corporation though, it's in-house. You have a coordinator and a team and anytime you have a product or launch a new product, you're going to have to assign that new product uh, a number. And it's got to be very specific to that product. It can't, you can't just say, well, you know, Coke is Coke. So two liter, 12 pack, single, 12 ounce or 16 ounce, they're mm-hmm. all the same. Right. Which means that the first six numbers of a UPC code for Coke is going to be the same on any bottle or can or whatever you pick up of Coke because that— and it essentially says the Coca-Cola company in whatever language, right? To, to the entire world. Yeah. Anywhere in the world where they use barcodes, if they, it gets scanned, it's going to come up as a Coke product. That's right. Those last five numbers, it's up to Coke and that UPC coordinator that's employed by Coke mm-hmm. to come up with new numbers for each— not just Coke and Diet Coke and New Coke and Cherry Coke yeah. and Orange Vanilla Coke, which have you had? It's weirdly good. <laughs> no. um, you have to come up with not just a, a different number for each of those. You have to come up with a different number for each of those in each size and each way that those sizes are put together. Yeah, every so, skew, as they call it in the business. Right. So a different a different one for a one 12-ounce can of Coke or a six-pack of 
Cokes or case of Cokes um, and so on and so forth. And I was on that GS1 site, and the way that they put it is much simpler. If you have one T-shirt that you sell, mm-hmm. right, it's a vitamin, stupid. vitamin SYSK T-shirt, <laughs> okay, which you can get. Even it, better. It's a great T-shirt if you ask me. You like that one, right? I love it. Yeah. I think it's the colors on it that really get me. Sure. Um, but you have one T-shirt, a vitamin SYSK shirt, but that thing comes in four different sizes, small, medium, large, extra large, mm-hmm. and it comes in four different colors. You need 64 different um is that right? Four by four, 16 by four is 64. You need 64 different UPC codes Yeah. for, for that one product, that one T-shirt. And UPC code is one of those dumb things like, say, an ATM machine. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, automatic oh, oh, yeah. teller machine, machine. Right, yeah. Universal product code. You code. know, thank you for calling me out on that. I actually <laughs> went through this article and, like, got the instances of UPC code. Like, I defy you to find oh, UPC really? code in and, the article. And didn't got rid stick. of them all? <laughs> yeah. Didn't stick in oh, the Oh, everyone retail. says it. So I wasn't being pedantic, but I was doing it for the people who were already thinking that. <laughs> um, and all right. there, there were people out there <laughs> thinking that. So the last digit is called a check digit. Mm-hmm. And this is basically a, a bit of a fail-safe to make sure that the scanner got everything right. Yeah, it's really convoluted how it does that. Though. Yeah, there. I mean, there is a calculation every time you scan something or every time something is scanned for you, rather. Um, do you check out yourself at the grocery store? Do you like that deal? I don't because I very strongly see or clearly see that it, they're replacing human cashiers, and I think human cashiers like to do human cashier work, so right. I go to the human cashier whenever I can. Oh, I love the self-checkout. Do you really? Yeah, because I like bagging my stuff very specifically. Uh-huh. So that's why I do it. Like like cold with cold or mm. chunky items or stuff that contain fat? I mean, what? It, you know, I could go over my whole system. I'd and like it would you bore to. bore everyone to tears. Come on. But a lot of cold with cold, yeah. size, like sizes, uh, where it goes in my house as I'm unpacking. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, and more than anything, just efficiently packed. Right. So it all fits. I'm a, I have a bit of a Tetrisy brain mm-hmm. when it comes to packing things. Yeah. And so I get a little, um, I get, not a little, I get really uncomfortable when I see someone else doing it and it's all wrong. Oh, really? Even yeah. when it's not your groceries? Like if you look over and somebody oh, else no, is, I don't oh, know. I yeah, I can't even look at that. I just I look away. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's my um, cross to bear though. Yeah. You're doing a great job of it. But anyway, when they're checking, uh, when they scan something, that calculation is performed every time something is scanned to make sure that check digit calculates out that this is the correct price for this thing. Yeah. However, to me, fact of the podcast, the barcode does not contain a price. No. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. Remember we said the thing that that the reason barcodes were invented was so that they can encapsulate information about that, Mm -hmm. that item, right? One of the pieces of information that it encapsulates is price, but it also encapsulates how many are in stock, whether mm-hmm. it's on sale, um, what tax you you put onto it, mm-hmm. um, who manufactures it, what size, some item description, all of this stuff. And it's all encoded in that bar, but no one thing is encoded into that. It's just that when you in, enter that number, either by scanning it into the computer mm-hmm. or by punching those numbers in, mm-hmm. that that information goes to the point of sale computer in the store, and it returns all that information to the to the 
to check out. Yeah, that's kind of the, I don't know, the fact of the podcast for, for me because like when you scan it, the price pops up. And I just automatically thought, well, sure, that's encoded in those bars. Yeah, there is no way for you to look at a UPC symbol and discern the price. Yeah. Even if you can read the bars. Yeah. Because the price, the one of the reasons it's invented, was so you can alter the price without having to yeah. mess, go through and hand label exactly. everything. Remember, that was one of the reasons why. Pretty cool. Yeah. The problem is, is that means that there is such a thing as um, scanner scamming which some state senator felt pretty good about him or herself for coming up with that phrase. Yeah. But there there's um or there are some untoward retailers or merchants who will mess with the price of something and hope you don't notice and yeah. charge you more. Even if it's by a few cents. We all saw office space. That adds up. <laughs> yeah, that's you know. Right. Yeah. Um and since we're there, you mentioned the Michigan law. I did look that up cuz they do have a law. Yeah. Uh and I, I didn't yet. Uh, well, the result of the Michigan law against scanner fraud is the seller pays, and this is to avoid a lawsuit. Like you could <laughs> technically bring a lawsuit against a company, yeah, but they can just all they can take care of it right here in Brainerd mm-hmm. if they want to. <laughs> so the seller pays the buyer the amount equal to the difference between the displayed price and the charged price, plus an amount equal to ten times that difference. So you think that's a whopping. Well, I mean, let's say you're charged nine ninety nine for something that's eight ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So you get that dollar. You get a million dollars. You get that dollar plus ten times the difference, with a maximum of five dollars. <laughs> because <laughs> right. I thought, oh man, you could really clean up if they really mislabeled mm-hmm. like a TV. Yeah, but it, it's not. No, up to five dollars. Yeah, that's where they cut it off. But that's to me, that's a measuring stick for a good grocery store. Is without flinching, they when they confirm that there has been a discrepancy between the scanned price and the price that they have on mm-hmm. the shelves listed, mm-hmm. um, that they just give you the item. Here, oh, do they? It. Publix does. Okay, that's why I'm a Publix shopper. Right, that and the sheet cake. It's really good. They also have this line of special limited edition ice cream right oh, now. Yeah? And I wanted to declare, okay. everyone, <laughs> if there's a Publix near you, get to the Publix, uh-huh. find their special edition toasted s'more ice cream. Oh, yeah? And enjoy arguably the greatest ice cream ever invented. Is it good? It's good. Good doesn't even begin to describe it. And I've had a lot of s'more ice creams. You're going to love this, Is this Chuck. better than other s'more ice creams? Yes. Okay. You're going to love it. Man, Publix needs to sponsor us. We throw them so much love. They really should. All right. Well, let's take another break, and we're going to come back uh, after this and talk a little bit more about how these things are read. All right. Another fact of the podcast for me is that the laser technically is scanning the white space between the black bars. Both the black bars and the spaces. Well, yeah. I mean, but it, you know what I'm saying? Uh huh. I mean, is that like me thinking about it, like looking at a picture? Is it an old lady or a young lady? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. But to the to the scanner and the sensor more more directly, the the sensor in the scanner that's getting the the bounce back. Right. The black lines on a UPC code don't reflect 
back into the scanner. The white lines are the absence of the black lines yeah. too. But both of those things, the fact that the light didn't well, there bounce back be there. cannot be white without the black. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very like like Zen <laughs> invention. Um, the fact that some bounced back and some didn't means something to the to the computer that's mm-hmm. attached to the scanner. And this this is where the, the whole thing kind of gets translated into numbers, which then are put together to become the UPC number that is associated with the information, associated with the item. Right. So if you look at these bars, if you study, next time you pick up a can of soup, mm-hmm. turn it over and look at it, <laughs> the very thinnest bar that you're going to see uh, is is one unit wide. You can call it that. Sure. And then every other bar uh, that you see is either one unit wide, two, three, or four units wide. Right. And that's the maximum width uh, is going to be four units. Right. And so not just the bars are one, two, three, or four units wide. The spaces are also one, two, three, or four units wide, right? Sure. So there is, when you put a combination of spaces and bars together in the right way, you will end up, as far as the computer is concerned, with a zero or a one or a two. For example, to come up with a a zero, you have um, a three-unit wide bar, Mm -hmm. a two-unit wide space, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a uh, one-unit wide bar, Mm -hmm. and then a one-unit wide space. That's a zero. When you see that, what I just said, Mm -hmm. go back, listen to it over and over again until (laughs) you get it. Um, that That to the computer is... A zero. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if you would have messed that up if there would have been anyone that would be like, actually, Josh, (laughs) (laughs) it goes a little something like this. Right, yeah. That would be remarkable. Maybe so. I'm sure there are barcode wonks out there. There has to be. I mean, there's just the fact that there's this major industry associated with with creating and selling and leasing barcodes. Surely people can just look at it and know what they're saying. I'm sure there are people like ham radio hams are better into this. It seems really complex and difficult to us, but if you step back, it's really simple. And yeah, Yeah. being exposed to it day in and day out, you you, you couldn't help but memorize it, I would think. Are we on to the QR codes? or? Well, there's one more thing. If you look at a barcode, uh-huh. the first two, the, there are two lines and then the numbers start. Mm-hmm. There are another two lines in the middle and then there are two more lines at the oh, end. Oh, sure, yeah. And they are larger than the rest of the barcode. Yeah, those are actually the separators. Those are separators, guidelines, yeah. whatever you want to call them. And in the middle, those middle two lines actually cut the barcode in half. And when that happens so that the barcode can be scanned any direction, the rules turn into the mirror image. Yeah. So where a, uh, a, a zero would have been like um, a three-unit wide space followed by a two-unit wide bar, mm-hmm. it would be a three-unit wide bar followed by a two-unit wide space and so on. Yeah. It's, it's the same number. It's just the mirror image of it. Right. And that tells the uh, scanner, hey, just go ahead and show off. Show everybody that you can read backwards and forwards. Yeah, and that was, uh, I mean, we didn't even mention at the beginning, there were um, specific specs Mm -hmm. uh, when everyone was developing those seven uh, test whatever uh, submissions. Right. And one of them was, you got to be able to do these things forward and backwards, guys. Yeah, in your sleep. Yeah. Uh, On a beanbag ashtray, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there was also a size requirement, of course, Mm -hmm. um, and other things like that. But Forwards and backwards had to be in there. Right. I guess for, I don't know, convenience? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that they wanted I think that the um the Cincinnati pilot program bullseye one mm-hmm. was touchy enough that they're like we it can't be like that. It's right. got to be like really tough and, yeah, yeah. and accurate. You got you can just drop this thing accidentally and it'll ring it up. Right. Gotcha. Which happens sometimes. Yeah. It does. And then you, uh, when you're bagging, when you're doing it yourself, that's the only problem is when you have a problem because then you got to call the person over. Oh, that's the worst. And that person has to, you know, they're managing eight they different go, registers. Move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the people in line behind you are like, oh, God, I should have just gone to the cashier line. This guy, does, he's no cashier. I know. He's no Diane. Have you noticed also that, that retailers, companies, stores, are Why'd you hurting, just put that in scare quotes? Hurting people, <laughs> hurting people more toward self-service by having fewer and fewer human-run checkout lanes open at a time. Yeah. Yep. I haven't noticed that. It's bugging me. Yeah. I, I just, I, I bugs me. So when you go to a store, do you um, have a friendly conversation with your cashier? No. Usually, you don't even interact. Then you just no like them having their job and being quiet about it. <laughs> I guess so. Okay. No, of course I do. I chat with people. I'm a friendly guy. Uh, by the way, we should shout out. I did, uh, uh, was his name Brian? I was in a major big box flat pack furniture store over the weekend. Which one? And a guy approaches me with a Josh sent me shirt. That's awesome. And I took a picture. He he was very nice. I think his name was Brian. But he's like, I don't want to bug you. I was like, dude, you know, you're wearing a don't be dumb shirt. It's right. like, you got to come up to me and say something. That was very cool. And I asked if he minded if I took a picture of him and I texted it to you. I know. I got it. And uh, I was like, Chuck's texting me on a weekend? <laughs> this must be good. He's quitting the show? <laughs> Can't take it anymore. Won't be there Tuesday, period. <laughs> Tell Jerry. Um, yeah, it was kind of cool yeah. to see him out in the wild. It was a great picture. Anyway, back to QR codes. Uh, these are way more complex. If you look at a QR code or a 2D barcode, which, by the way, came around in 1987, which mm-hmm. is hard to believe. I mean, it seems like a, at least a 2000s thing. Yeah. You know? Easily. Um, but this, like we said, can store a ton more information vertically, horizontally. They use dots, hexagons, rectangles. They use bullseyes, which is kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, when I look at a QR code, I don't see any of those shapes. Yeah, uh, you see like the one bigger shape mostly. Yeah. Right? I mean, I just see a bunch of blocks and well, different Well, yeah, patterns. That's, that's the most universal one. Just like the UPC is the most universal 1D linear. Right. That QR code is a type of 2D code. Oh, okay. But there are ones that have tons of different like patterns and stuff too. Gotcha. Them. You just got to stare at them, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then it all, you're like, oh, it's a donkey. Right. What were those called? The Magic Eye posters. Yeah. I used to enjoy those. Yeah. I always got it eventually. I think we, yeah. we didn't do a show on these, did we? I don't think so. We've talked about it before. That sounds like a short stuff to me. It does. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, QR codes work because like uh, basically because everyone has a camera in their pocket now because you right. have to have a very complex reader on hand, and that is a camera, basically. Yeah, if you run a, a product with a QR code through a supermarket scanner, forget about 1D it. scanner, it'll say, like, does not compute. Smoke will come out of it. Uh-huh. It's, it'll spin around. <laughs> yeah. It won't be good. So you need an image recognition software to scan a 2D code, but 
the camera on your phone does a really fine job, mm -hmm. which is why you're starting to see them everywhere, like in museums, on tours, and things like that. Yeah, I used one just the other day mm -hmm. on a home security camera. Mm -hmm. um, they have a little QR code on the bottom. Right. And to get it going, you yep. just point your camera at it, and mm -hmm. it locks it in. I know exactly the one you're talking <laughs> Pretty about. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, Chuck, I think we've been kind of dancing around what's ultimately the biggest question of this whole podcast and really the reason we created it. Is the UPC code the mark of the beast, <laughs> the devil's mark? How did you know about this? Because I have never heard this. Had you heard this or did yeah. you just come across it? I knew paranoid people in the 90s, so yeah. I was familiar with this. So refer to our satanic panic episode uh, as background, but apparently when these things started coming out, um, there were people, or maybe this is all urban legend. Yeah. No, no, no. There were some, I saw reference that Pat Robertson, somebody tried to link to a video uh -huh. of Pat Robertson on the 700 Club talking about this, and I couldn't find the video. But it, it's possible what okay. you're saying. From what I saw, it's, it started out as a real thing. All right. Well, it all goes to the book of Revelation in the New Testament where, uh, as everyone knows, if you've read the Bible, Revelation is when they talk about It's when the Bible gets really good, and it's when it talks about <laughs> the apocalypse and the beast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, raining fire down from the heavens and stuff. And it says this, uh, he causes all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive, and he is the beast, right? Sure, yeah. Satan. Yeah. Uh, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Mm -hmm. Didn't say back in the neck. No. Uh, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Somehow, this got locked into the fact that QR code, or I'm sorry, barcodes were now on products. Right. Like and, that was the mark <clears throat> to sell. Yeah, that was the thing that got everybody. Yeah. Oh, you need this to buy or sell? This is the mark of the beast. So that's how it started. Right. And then it evolved pretty quickly after that into a, a, just a straight-up urban legend and rumor that those those guidelines, the two in the beginning, the two in the middle, and the two in the end— mm -hmm. Actually, or encoded sixes. It's a 666. Which meant that every barcode in the world, <laughs> yeah. or every UPC symbol in the world, had 666 embedded in it, which clearly made it the mark of the beast. Right. And poor um, George Lauer, or Lehrer, who invented this, mm -hmm. is like, no, I swear I did not create yeah. the mark of the beast. And apparently he got a registered letter once from Satan himself saying, how does it feel to mm -hmm. have done my, my bidding, sucker? <laughs> I have 666 on uh, the license plate of my pickup truck. Do you? Yes, by chance, which I kind of thought was great. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You stole my Jesus fish, didn't you? <laughs> uh, there was one other thing that kind of helped the urban legend too, Chuck. What's that? The IBM scanners that were first put into use yeah. were models 3666. What? 3666. Well, there you have it. Um, last thing... Uh, there was one thing I wanted to mention. We talked a little bit about how um, barcodes, we basically couldn't exist without them. Right. There's 5 billion barcodes are scanned every day. Wow. That uh, GS1 site tracks it um, and basically says about 5 billion today. Wow. All over the world, 5 billion. UPC codes or, or barcodes of all kinds are scanned every day. Wow. And then the last thing is there is a, company called Quiring Monuments that builds headstones that have QR codes engraved in them. I've heard about those. So that you can scan it as you're in a cemetery and it'll bring up like information and pictures of the deceased and talk about their life. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Instead awesome of uh, 
You're not limited by the size of your gravestone. No. With just your name and like, you know, maybe yeah. a couple of sentences about your life. You could have like a one inch by one inch gravestone. That's all you need. That'd be kind of cool. It's the wave of the future. Yeah. Well, if you want to know more about barcodes, you can go to a store and start studying them. Go do that now. Oh, wait. But first, listen to this listener mail. Uh, this, uh, I've been meaning to read this for a few weeks. We got a uh, email from a woman named Maggie who works f- for a great uh, organization. Um, I'll just read it. Hey, guys, listen to your Selects episode recently about circumcision. Uh, Thank you for creating awareness about female genital mutilation around the world. I work with an organization in Kenya that rescues young girls from early forced marriage and female genital mutilation. Some of our girls have been rescued from uh, this as early as age eight. Uh, We just recently rescued our 100th girl and have raised up every single one of them to graduate high school, which is a rare thing in this part of Kenya. It's amazing. Uh, Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, Many have moved on to go on to college, tribe girls in Kenya are raised to feel worthless and inferior to men and boys. And their only value is the dowry they can provide their father when he sells them for marriage. Uh, all of our girls have learned their worth and value, which empowers them to spread their message to other girls around them. Uh, they are wonderful girls and so happy now. The two times I had visited the last few years have been amazing, eye-opening experiences. It's good to see how quickly the girls blossom uh, with some security, love, and protection. Uh, they are remarkable women. One girl I sponsored is 10 now, but was 8 when we rescued her. Uh, and to think she was going to be sold off as someone's wife at 8 years old. My goodness. Uh, I'd love for you to plug our website so your listeners can get involved if they want to support. It is uh, saruni.org, S-A-R-U-N-I.org. Uh, there's a Give tab at the top of the page as well as lots of information on what we do. We specifically need funds to build more dorms and bathhouses for the girls. We are maxed out on beds. Cannot take any more at the moment. So that is our next big goal. I'm really glad you read this one, man. Amazing. That's from Maggie. And again, it is S-A-R-U-N-I dot org. Thanks a lot, Maggie. Um, Not just for writing in, but for the work you're doing. That's really amazing stuff. Um, If you want to get in touch with us like Maggie did and let us know about some amazing things you're doing, we'd love to hear that stuff. So... Uh, you can go on to our website at stuffyoushouldknow.com and check out our social links there. Uh, or you can send us a good old-fashioned email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.